Hey, Mike. Yeah. Look what I uh, look what I found in the break room. I think disembodied voice guy must have left this behind. It's a it's a tape uh, labeled Back to the Future Auditions, nineteen eighty five. Really? Uh, a VHS tape? Yeah. Where? Why uh, would he have that? I have no idea. I was just as surprised as you. But uh, does a part of you want to watch this thing? Oh yeah, the entire part of me wants to watch this thing. All right, let's pop it in. Okay. All right, so we got um, Back to the Future audition calls today. So, uh, uh, do you wanna you wanna call the first guy? Uh, yeah. Why don't I do that? Uh, Mr. Walken, could you come in, please? Uh, calling Walken. Hello. How are you? Uh, uh, very good, Mr. Walken, and how are you? I'm all right. So, let's do this thing. Uh, that's the spirit. Uh, Christopher Walken, reading for Doc Brown, take one. Wait. I was hoping to read for the Marty McFly part. You know, for youth appeal. Um, I'm sorry, nobody's reading for Marty McFly. That part's already gone to Eric Stoltz. It's a done deal. Now, action! Whatever. A paycheck's a paycheck. Ahem. <clears throat> Marty... Great Scott, 1.21 gigawatts is a lot of power. I think we're going to need some, I don't know, lightning bolts or something. Cut. Uh, Chris, sorry, your delivery, could you just smooth it out a little? What are you talking about? I'm Mr. Smooth. Uh, it's going to be a long day. All right, all right, next. Um, uh, uh, we need Arnold, uh, Arnold Schwartz, uh, the, uh, let's get the Mr. Schwartz, uh, 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 warm up, whatever you need to. <clears throat> okay, uh, Arnold S., uh, reading for Doc Brown, uh, take 14. Oh, God in Himmel, they found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Come with me if you want to live, Marty. And then I killed the Libyans. No, 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 no. For, for the last time, the Libyans kill you. That's bullshit. I'm Arnold. No puny terrorist can kill me. Um, well, in this movie, their leader is played by uh, Chuck Norris. Oh, well, then... Maybe. Cut! All right, all right, all right. Next we have uh, Christopher Lee. We're at the Christopher section. Boy, do we have a lot of Christophers. Okay, Christopher Lee, reading for Doc Brown, uh, take 47. They will find the one with the flying sports car time machine and kill the others. Cut! I didn't even know who they are in that scene. Just read the lines, Mr. Lee. All right. Christopher Lee, Doc Brown, take 48. We must join with him, Marty. We must join with Biff Tannen. Cut! You're done. Get out of here. Jesus, Jesus how, how many, many Christophers, Christophers are, are trying, trying out, out for, for this movie? movie? All right, Christopher Lloyd, reading for Doc Brown. Take one. Marty! No, next. Sorry I'm late. I had to do something. Well... You probably don't want to know about it. 
Uh, that's just fine. Uh, could you get in front of the mic? All right. Disembodied voice guy, reading for... Oh, well, this is different. Reading for George McFly. Take one. Lorraine. Sweet Lorraine. My density has drawn me to you. I'm your destiny. <laughs> Cut. Uh, well, that's not exactly the mood we're going for in this scene. I'm wondering if you couldn't read it a little more, you know, romantically. The correct reading of this is the way I'm doing it. Uh, I'm sorry about that, Big D. Hello, Lorraine, how do you think your character would react to that delivery? Uh, Lorraine ran away, sir. Ugh, damn it. In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media... Mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose incorrectly, and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good? Or bad. Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely? A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Cows. Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all. So you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now, welcome your hosts. Hey everyone, I'm Pete. And I'm Mike. Thanks, Thanks disembodied, disembodied voice guy. Well, don't you mean to ask me something? Hmm? Uh, what, what was that? Well, aren't you going to annoy me with some inane question that prompts me to say something evil? Um, nah, we could skip that. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Well, I'm going to say something evil anyway. Oh, uh, uh okay, uh, you know, whatever you want. Uh, um, mm. uh, but you know, we do have a show to do, so... Well, uh, fine! Yeah. I guess I won't give you the satisfaction, then. Huh, I, I th think he's gone. Uh, yeah, great, uh, alright, uh, are you sure that you don't, you know, are you testing his patience or something? Uh, no, I think I've been doing that all along, so, uh, you know, this may have been the, the flashpoint, but, uh, let's just get on with the show, how about that? Welcome to the Sacred Cows Podcast, where we talk about old movies that you might be nostalgic for. Today, we're going to talk about the 1985 Robert Zemeckis film, Back to the Future. Very exciting. You know what I'm most excited about? What's that? Not talking about a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie for the first time in forever. I know. It's been like two plus months, which is like almost eight hours of audio. I know. It's been a significant portion of our podcasting time, I believe. Well, we're going to have to change that and talk about the Back to the Future movies for the next three. That's right. Getting back on the same train. Instead of uh, going into it right away, why don't we just talk a little bit about uh, 
about ourselves. If you're new to us, as we introduced ourselves earlier, I'm Mike, and that's Pete. And uh, we're here to Hi. talk about old movies, movies that are 10 years old or older, and that we have nostalgia for. We want to determine if they're still any good. So we talk about them together, and uh, assuming you guys watch them with us, and... Uh, yeah, we have a good time. That's right. And this movie fits the bill in every way possible. It was a blockbuster film in the mid-80s, very profitable, starred some uh, fairly big people, culturally significant, I think we can all agree, and uh, just generally a very good time uh for a young version of me and you two as well, Mike, I'd assume. Oh, yeah. I have uh, tons of nostalgia for these movies. Um, I remember uh, having a DeLorean toy car, which was a Hot Wheel, which had nothing to do with this movie, and that we played Back to the Future. So, yeah. That is awesome. All right. So, as always, we like to start off with a little bit of back information about the movie, uh, director, history, all that stuff, all the interesting things that uh, you may not know about Back to the Future. And I, let me tell you, a lot of things happen behind the camera in this movie, so that's a big part of the story as well. Oh, yes. And uh, let's just go with the basics. So Back to the Future is a 1985 American movie directed by Robert Zemeckis and also written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. It stars Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Lee Thompson, Crispin Glover, and Thomas Wilson, most notably. And also I noticed uh, Billy Zane as Biff Tannen thug number three, essentially. That, uh, that sort of leads right into the uh, interesting history of this movie. Robert Zemeckis and uh, Bob Gale wrote it after they had a sort of amusing conversation about whether their parents would have been friends with them if they were in high school together. I read about this. Uh, not only that, uh, well, Gail had found his father's yearbook and wondered that very thing. He's like, huh, would I would have been friends of, of, with my own dad if we grew up at the same time? Uh, while Zemeckis um, just simply thought of a very simple uh, concept, uh, a mother who claimed she never kissed a boy at school when in reality she was highly promiscuous, just like the mother in this film. So it's kind of like the two of them both had this threadbare little idea, put them together, and uh, a, a movie sprang up from that humble beginning. And, and they met in the middle, really. Yeah. So, so they ended up writing, writing the movie, and this is where we kind of get to um, uh, Billy Zane, uh, via the original casting for Marty McFly. So we all know that Marty McFly is played by Michael J. Fox. Um, even if you haven't watched the movie, if you have a yet, um, you have a passing familiarity with this movie, you know that uh, Michael J. Fox was the character, the, the actor they had in mind when they wrote the movie. But it didn't end up that they could cast Michael J. Fox uh, because he was busy with his TV series, Family Ties. So... Very popular at the time. Yeah, yes. So instead, they cast an actor named Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz was most notable for the movie Mask, uh, which is starring Cher. Um, and he's a method actor, so he would always be in character when he was playing uh, Marty. Now, Stoltz basically being a method actor... Um, I'll bet that can get tiresome, by the way. Yes, that he was very serious and... And uh, had to be in character all the time. And it had, he didn't have quite the comic flavor that people wanted. He didn't get along with Thomas Wilson, 
who played Biff on the scene, um, you know, he would actually like, uh, you know, hurt him back when they were doing the little shoving back and forth and things like that. Uh, and, and it wasn't so as much acting as, as they would like it to be. So in one of the scenes that, um, that Stoltz was in, uh, Billy Zane was in the scene. And if you find that video clip on uh, YouTube, Zane is not in the scene uh, in the uh, Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly. Huh. So that's sort of how it relates to Billy Zane, but Zane. So yeah, Stoltz wasn't getting along with the cast very well, um, except for Lee Thompson, who he was friends with because of his being method and not being that funny. So uh, after Michael J. Fox got the clearance from Family Ties to uh, do the movie as long as it didn't wreck his shooting script for Family Ties, um, they finally fired Stoltz while still filming for an additional two weeks after they did so um, without telling mm. him. And, and then uh, eventually uh, Michael J. Fox came back as Marty McFly and basically the entire cast had uh, practiced a good portion of the movie by filming it with Eric Stoltz and, and sort of deciding how to do it differently. I guess that's just what happens when you want to let a guy you still like down gently. You, you keep filming for an additional, what, $3 million worth of film, essentially. Uh, but it it was a mutual thing. Even Stoltz realized that he, he didn't quite get the movie and he wasn't really right for the part. So it was a mutual decision. The, the cast was, was pretty happy with it. I mean, um, there's lots of, of comments from Christopher Lloyd um, saying that, uh, you know, he didn't really uh, feel like there was good chemistry. And, uh, uh, of course, Thomas Wilson was pretty happy that uh, Michael J. Fox is pretty easy to work with compared to uh, uh, Eric Stoltz being that... Um, you know, uh, both he, Wilson, who played Biff, and uh, Michael J. Fox have a comedy background. Right. Well, and it just sounds like uh, Fox was right for the part, you know, in many ways. And, and it sounded like he really was Marty McFly. I mean, he said in high school he was into skateboarding and bands and that kind of thing. So, I mean, they basically hired a guy who was the character. Other than that, there's, there's a lot of notable things about um, the development of the time machine and other things in the uh, movie that end up uh, sort of playing out in other interesting ways. Most interesting thing I think about the time machine was that when it was originally conceived, they were actually considering using a refrigerator as the time machine. Right. You know, I read that too. Uh, there was a problem with that, though. Yeah, they didn't want kids crawling in and just hanging out in fridges thinking it's a time machine. Right. I think this was like at the time when, like... Uh, comedy shows were doing PSA episodes about kids who get locked in refrigerators and that kind of thing. So, like, that was the scare du jour, I guess. Yeah. Yep. It was uh, It was one of those things. And also, um, interestingly enough, uh, this was an idea that was floated to Steven Spielberg, who uh, didn't think that the uh, refrigerator idea would be very cool for Back to the Future, which Spielberg was the executive producer. So, you know, he had a lot of say right. in it. But he ended up using and, um, you know, sources Zemeckis as the inspiration for the refrigerator gag in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And let me tell you, I didn't necessarily love that. <laughs> I thought it was a little unbelievable. No, it's, it's not a great, great movie thing. But I guess um, it's just interesting that uh, a no bad idea will ever die. <laughs> That's right. 
That's right. Somebody will think it's a great idea at some time. But really, uh, I think the reason they eventually went with the DeLorean was, A, the simple fact that it would be a lot more convenient and easy for the plot if the time machine could move, um, as opposed to just being some chamber you hop into a la Bill and Ted. But um, also because the DeLorean is a very, well, it's an unmistakable automobile. It looks very futuristic. Um, It... uh, even resembles they do a gag right away when they show up in the past that there's a a science fiction magazine the kids reading with a flying saucer that well it looks quite a bit like that delorean so especially with those uh gull wing action doors so uh basically it was a car that just kind of fit the part and they look pretty radical i have to say they do that ninja turtles language creeping back in (laughs) and uh they actually had um uh, over the course of the trilogy, they had seven DeLoreans. Um, for the first oh, wow. mo- movie, they only had three, uh, two regular DeLoreans, and they had one that was sort of rigged up for uh, a bit more rough and tumble. Um, it was called the DeLorean B, at least in their filming, which was the stunt DeLorean. So Okay, okay. And no doubt a different DeLorean, the one that burns plutonium and the one that uh, the Mr. Fusion garbage burning version, I'd assume. Well, yeah, now now you're getting into uh, Back to the Future uh, 2. But uh, but yeah, they they actually end up using all, all seven of them throughout the trilogy. That's cool. They should have done a Blues Brothers style uh, car pile up at the end just for the <laughs> blooper reel. Uh, well, of course, the uh, this movie notably is not set up to be a trilogy. That's another interesting fact about it. Um, It was originally meant to be sort of a standalone movie, which is why uh, in the original release and now the DVD releases starting from 2002 on and Blu-rays that you don't see what a lot of people saw um, in the original VHS release after the sequels were announced, they added to the end credits it's right before the end credits it said to be continued and now that's right with a little back to the future style arrow pointing you know in the direction i remember that that, that was always the iconic ending to the movies uh growing up right because the the uh the second one at the end of the movie it says to be concluded that's right yeah but it, it always felt like it was a planned trilogy right and it, it does it so well reason. i mean I mean, the first movie does stand on its own the way that the plot is 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 done. Um, with before we get into that, you know, but uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely they they saw gold as soon as it it uh, made its three hundred and ninety five million dollars. Right, eighty nine. Sorry, of what seventeen million? Yeah, the budget was nineteen, and it made three hundred and eighty nine. So I mean, that's a pretty good ROI. De- decent returns on that one for sure. Well, not to mention it spent um, 11 weeks at number one, which uh, you might recognize as what, you know, over three or about three months. Uh, it only got knocked down by National Lampoon's European vacation for a very brief amount of time, but then jumped right back up to number one. So yeah. people loved this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was crazy, crazy popular. Yeah, that's really all the notes I had on any sort of uh, historical things. Uh, Pete, did you have anything else? You know, it's just uh, some little quirky things. Obviously, Christopher Lloyd plays a very quirky character in this film. His uh, his silly humor, uh, you know, or, you know, his, like, ultra-nerdisms, like uh, the 
the rhythmic mating ritual or something when he's talking about the st- uh, school dance, that kind of thing. He oh, brought yeah. a lot of those lines himself. Um, he pr- used the distinctive pronunciation gigawatts instead of gigawatts because that's uh, what the, uh, the physicist that the studio brought to brief him um, used. Uh, both are correct, but one is much more prominent than the others, uh, you might say. Uh, and then there's just some interesting actors in this movie. Crispin Glover is always kind of, you know, a strange character. Um, turns out this is the only Back to the Future movie that Crispin Glover was in, which <gasps> I didn't actually know. No way. I know, right? Yeah, I, yeah we can talk more about that in two, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, sure. it's an interesting story there, too. But it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, all of the actors in this movie did a really good job. Everybody... Maybe not with Mar- not Marty McFly, but all of the other characters uh, undergo uh, transformations in appearance and character throughout the movie due to the different time periods and uh, even some spoiler, some changes to the timeline uh, well, requires yeah. two or three even different personality types and appearances for each of the actors. Oh, yes. So. Uh, it, this was kind of a um, for all of the actors involved. This was kind of a, hey, you get to do all kinds of stuff role. For anybody. Yeah, basically. So. It's like an Eddie Murphy movie, right? You get to play a bunch of different characters. Well, and a bunch of different characters while still playing the same character. But we'll get into that into the spoilers, I think. Absolutely. All right, Pete. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about our personal history with this movie? You go first. Well, um, okay, thank you. I will. Uh, So... the first time I watched this movie, Back to the Future, was right around the f- sort of the first time I watched Star Wars. So I think those were about contemporary of each other. I would have been very young, probably like six, seven years old, that kind of thing. The movie was still definitely popular when I was watching it. Uh, it's interesting, Mike, that you mentioned that you had a toy DeLorean because the the one thing about this movie, despite its popularity, I don't remember there really being a heck of a lot of... Um, toy marketing well this was just a hot wheel that happened to be a delorean so it wasn't like uh you know the back to the future delorean you know right right but you know like like many other things like ninja turtles and star wars you know it's just action figures galore and beach towels and lunch boxes and that kind of thing really don't remember that with this movie but um i guess maybe it just made enough money on its own huh yeah, it, it definitely did that. I don't think there was any necessarily Back to the Future toys oriented towards kids until the Back to the Future Lego sets that came out just a few years ago, which um, sort of shows how this movie has uh, weathered the test of time thus far. For sure, and and it really has. Um, but um, yeah, I, I wanted to see this movie again because I'd seen it many, many times as a kid, probably, you know, at least a dozen times, one, two, and three, Uh and you know how it sometimes is movies that you watched as a kid you just don't know how they're going to hold up so i was really excited that uh this trilogy was coming up next uh what about you mike well the first time i remember seeing this movie i'm pretty sure i saw it on hbo um when we used to have that hbo subscription as a kid um okay but then i i think we got rid of hbo when the around the time that two came out and I remember when 2 and 3 came out, or maybe when they were was something going on with um, McDonald's to pump it out or something like that. It was strange, and mm. I, I didn't really do any more research on this, but I know that the VHS copy that we had 
of uh, Back to the Future trilogy actually came from some sort of McDonald's deal. No kidding. Yeah, and it was... Uh, well, I can, I can tell you we watched this at home on the typical blank home-recorded Betamax, just like every other movie I owned. Hmm. Well, I'll, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll do some more research before 2 and 3, but I'm pretty sure that after the success... This would have been in the, in the uh, early 90s. After the success of the TMNT from Pizza Hut, I think McDonald's oh, got sure. in the game by bringing out other classic movies that people really like that are of the same sort of family friendly. Because I swear to God, I got th- we got these three movies from McDonald's. But uh, I'll do some more research on that. But yeah, I remember we watched the VHS tapes a lot, a lot. And yet another connection to TMNT. Man, we got to get off that topic. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. But hey, you know how I watched this movie this time, Mike? I rented it on YouTube. You can do that apparently. Interesting. Uh, I, yeah, I struck out everywhere else. Well, you, uh, so how was the viewing uh, that way? Well, it was wonderful. I didn't have to, you know, watch some Arabic dub. Uh, I didn't have to run around to a whole bunch of movie rental places. Unfortunately, it would have been nice just to get it on Netflix or something like that. But this, it was really nice. I pressed a button and I was watching it. So, well, that's good. Um, I yeah. still, I still have my 25th anniversary copy of the trilogy um on oh, wow. on dvd so um that's uh that's how i watched it it's not not that hard to uh pop a dvd in really for sure now i'm pretty sure the last time i saw this movie was before the dvd era so it has been a very long time since i watched this movie well and for those of you who haven't watched it yet um well, you can get it on amazon if you have an amazon prime uh subscription for free which mine just expired dang it ha huh. um i know but yeah, anyway, uh, my my experience was was uh, pretty good too, you know. Uh, oh yeah, so I just sat good. down and I uh, had some lunch and kicked back and just enjoyed the movie. Uh, it had been a few years, like you had said, since I watched it, um, and I was surprised by how much I didn't remember. Uh, I you know the yeah. the basic plot I did, but um, just the details and things I noticed, and maybe it's because you know I'm now doing a podcast about movies that I pay attention to more details. But yeah, the things I've got noted down uh, that I didn't notice before are going to be awesome for the spoiler section. Great. Well, we should get right into that then. All right. So let's go right into the spoilers then. Okay. So now we're on the massive spoiler section. This means if you haven't watched the 1985 movie Back to the Future yet, you need to stop everything, pause this recording, and go watch the movie before you continue. I mean, we can't stop you, but it's no, probably a good idea. We can't. Yeah, you, you. Let's face it, you probably haven't seen this movie recently either. Right. So go back, watch it, come back, we'll talk, and we're back. Let's spoil the heck out of this movie. Do you want to do the thirty-second elevator pitch? The elevator pitch? Uh, yeah, I think I could do the elevator pitch. Okay, uh, pitch so, it to me. So it's 1985. Uh, there's a teenager named Marty McFly and an old scientist named Doc Brown, and they're friends. And Doc Brown has created a time machine out of a sports car, and uh, he's about to be the first human to travel through time when he is... Uh, killed in action by a bunch of Libyan terrorists who loaned him the plutonium that his uh, 
time machine runs on, and uh, he didn't use it to build a bomb like they wanted. Anyway, long story short, Marty has to save himself by climbing into the time machine, going 88 miles an hour to trigger a time uh, dilation la-la-la and go back to 1955. And... uh, then the rest of the movie is spent wondering how he's going to get back to the future in a time machine that runs on plutonium, which is totally inaccessible to him. Uh, and meanwhile, he goes through a bunch of misadventures by meeting his parents and trying to get them together so that he doesn't disappear from time completely. And eventually, a lightning strike uh, is able to give his time machine the energy it needs to get him back home where his life has been incredibly improved thanks to the meddling that he's done with his family back 30 years in the past. The end. That's a pretty darn good uh, synopsis right there. I think that's, that works really It was really a hell neat. of a ramble, wasn't it? No, no, it was pretty small. It's pretty small. Yeah. All right. Well, didn't need to go into so much... Uh, detail about the Libyans, but uh, that was a part of the movie I focused on because I didn't necessarily remember a whole lot about that. Well, um, I mean, it was the 80s, and, uh, you know, we always have a big, bad bogeyman of the day, and during that time, it was the Libyans. Right, right. Uh, that and the Gipper. But um, <laughs> well, for the purposes of this movie, yeah, I mean, Doc Brown had to get that plutonium from somewhere, um, and I never really guess. I guess I didn't get a lot of that exposition because that exposition is told in a camera panning montage at the very beginning of the movie that shows things like, well, amongst like dozens of clocks because it's a movie about time travel, uh, newspaper clippings about how he's uh, formerly wealthy, uh, television news broadcast about how there's a bunch of stolen plutonium in the area. Um, followed by the camera panning to the stolen plutonium under a, a table or something like that. Yeah. The thing. So it's just it's kind of a, a thing that maybe kids wouldn't pay attention to, just a bunch of nonverbal, um, you know, clues and exposition, that no, kind of thing. And, and, the, and that whole thing is really, you do have to get it from there because Doc really just mentions it in passing, basically, uh, yeah, I got the plutonium from these Libyan terrorists and they thought I was going to build them a bomb, but instead I gave them a bomb-like thing that was really just filled with a bunch of uh, pinball machine parts and was heavy. <laughs> and he built a time bomb instead. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, but like things like the fact that he was rich. I mean, you told me that before I watched the movie. I didn't remember that. It's never mentioned in the movie. It's just uh, like a uh, like five-second pan across a newspaper clipping. No, he, he mentioned that he spent his family's considerable fortune on it. Oh, see, and I even missed it uh, on a subsequent viewing. So it's just a very minuscule part of the of the plot. Needless to say, well, it's important because he has a really nice house. A very, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he he does live in a particularly nice house, and that was another clue. But uh, needless to say, his sports car time machine runs on a very dangerous and rare classified material, I guess. Right. And gasoline. Right. Yeah, some some other things that are important about that a whole um, beginning montage, besides, like, of course, the going after clocks and, and things like that, is the there's a guy hanging from one of the clocks in the beginning, which is foreshadowing, right? And um, oh. for Doc hanging off the clock in, the, in there, 
I was looking for other um, foreshadowing stuff in the movie, and there is quite a bit of it. I noticed he had a Denver Broncos clock, but other than that, you know, I thought the guy hanging from a clock was like something from like a, an art deco art piece or something like that. I forgot about that. Well, it's it's more of an old timey thing. Yeah, um, but it is it is like uh, he is hanging from the hand of the clock that Doc is hanging from at the end of the movie for uh, a little bit until he can swing over. Are there any other expositional things from that clock scene? Because now I'm interested to hear. I didn't even think about that. Well, I didn't really have any other expositional things from that clock scene, but it makes me want to go back and look at it again. Uh, That's fun when they hide things like that. Another thing I noticed in that scene was, you know, your typical, stereotypical uh, um, scientist guy has a bunch of animated robot household conveniences that you know aren't really convenient uh, it reminded me a lot of the contraptions from honey i shrunk the kid uh, another period movie yeah that's uh that's that's pretty much uh like that or uh uh the adventures of wallace and gromit oh sure sure uh the immediate thing i noticed about um about uh doc's place too is that um it's really messy and sort of um represents i think when you finally meet doc the kind of like uh scatterbrain kind of genius he is <laughs> the kind of hair he has <laughs> pretty <laughs> much too unkempt totally just like his place but you know it's the typical absent-minded scientist he's got time for his uh you know musings and genius but no time for hygiene or you know cleanliness right exactly i like the montage when um when Marty is um, skateboarding through through Hill Valley uh, immediately following, it kind of shows you that um, you can see right away that this is a town that was really nice at one point, but like all mm-hmm. you know, cities in the 80s with downtowns, uh, when things started moving to the malls and stuff, it started getting crappy. Planned community that no longer has a plan, basically. Of particular note, uh, of course, during this beginning scene is that when Marty's late, um, the principal says to him that no McFly has ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Yeah, I thought, great, great uh, guidance for your students, man. Exactly. He's like the worst principal ever. You're a slacker. You're no good. Your father was a piece of crap. (laughs) Your kids are going to suck, I'm sure. Right. Strickland is his name. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Strickland, Strickland, looking, uh, yeah, well, looking, I, let's say the guy ages um, in a parallel fashion, but uh, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I thought that was real nice, but uh, yeah, and, and boy, let me tell you, does uh, Michael J. Fox look young in this movie? That struck me when we first saw his face on camera. I'm like, wow. I know, and then they, they made sure to get the perfect shot to capture those blue eyes. Right. He's so now, dreamy. granted, he wasn't 16 when he made this movie, was he? He was quite a bit older. I, I don't know off the top of my head. I, yeah, I, he, I, I feel like he was one of those, you know, Melissa Joan Hart type, type actors that looks like a teenager when they're in their late 20s. But interesting. Uh, that's worth researching. Well, did you notice that um, during the the band scene, who the band judge was that told him that it was too loud? Uh, no, I was just noticing the bad hair uh, in his actual band. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, Huey Lewis wrote um, a couple of songs for this movie. And Huey Lewis has sure. came up before on this podcast back in the wonderful American Psycho episode, if we might say so ourselves. Sure. Uh, Huey Lewis was the judge who spoke in the uh, scene where Marty's band is trying out for the, the Battle of the Bands. 
No kidding. Yeah. So that's his little cameo in the movie, and he is looking very young. I mean, if he, if you went and watched the uh, American Psycho uh, video where he's making fun of his, of the American Psycho scene featuring his band, um, you can tell it's the same guy. Huh, I didn't notice that. And it, it kind of sounds like Marty and his band are playing a, a Huey Lewis-esque song or perhaps the beginning of Hip to be Square or something No, they're, like they're playing that. The Power of Love, which is the same song that you had been hearing uh the beginning of the movie during the montage of Marty getting to school. You know, we're, we're just getting exposition from all over the place in this movie. We're learning that Marty McFly and his, apparently his family sucks. According to the principal, he likes loud music. He dreams of being something bigger. I mean, people just like come up to you in this movie and they're giving you exposition. The woman that interrupts him and his girlfriend, Jennifer Parker, uh, just like save the clock tower here's the history of why the clock tower doesn't work which of course becomes a significant plot point you know and and marty going home to his you know kind of you know low class downtrodden family and his mom telling probably for the thousandth time the history of why she's married to her husband and their father that kind of thing i mean it's just like people are just talking plot at you strangely it's very quest like Okay, so here's all these facts that Marty needs to know in order to solve the puzzle about how to get home later in the movie. Right. Although, you know, I'll have to say, even though they're just basically like, you ask the barkeep about the history of the town and he tells you, it really feels kind of natural. It feels like it has a good flow to it. Oh, yeah, um, they're just talking. Even though, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the family talk about the story that, you know, how the parents met. If the parents are still super in love, at least Lorraine is... Um, they tend to recite that story. Hey, you know I, how I met your your mom, your dad, whatever. I don't know about that super in love bit when she's like, that's when I knew I was going to spend the rest of my life with him. Grimace on her face. Okay, okay. Big pull of her glass of vodka <sighs> neat, basically. Okay, okay, you're right, you're right. Not super <laughs> in love, but trying. She's trying and George is not. I mean, you can tell there's clearly some family togetherness there, you know. Uh, they seem, if not situationally happy, that they at least care about each other. I noticed right away, too, that that she was uh, hard drinking uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that he's basically uh, just the saddest man, George McFly, <laughs> you know. Oh, a total loser uh, being bullied around by, like, who turns out to be his childhood bully now his adult bully like basically nothing changed in his whole life he's always been a loser always picked on by this guy and by lorraine falling with him she was kind of brought down to that at in this first timeline right yes as we learn later she seemed to have it all going for her but uh then she saddled up to this guy and it, it's been a downhill turn ever since did, I, I noticed for the first time that Leah Thompson is kind of wearing a fat suit, you know, fat face uh, makeup, uh, which I never noticed before. Uh, and it doesn't look that good. It, it's I understand it's a 30 year old makeup technology job, but it, it just kind of looks like rubber to me. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you can as long as you can suspend your disbelief, um, I noticed that as well. I was just like, OK, well, hmm. I'm not going to let you that... Know, I understand these these technologies weren't perfect, you know, in the mid-80s. So, no, but they tried... But it, it, 
They tried. Right. This was pioneering. This was well before they started doing this in other movies. I remember them talking about that on like the Today Show and things like, yeah, we're the first movie to really try to age somebody and get this good, you know? Beyond just like flower in their hair, you know, that kind of thing. The other thing I noticed about the 1985 Prime, <laughs> being that this was a PG-rated movie... <laughs> is that the movie mm-hmm. on the movie theater tag that's playing is called Orgy American Style. <laughs> Orgy American Style. <laughs> I was thinking, well, X- <laughs> that one got past the censors. <laughs> yeah, the XXX theater just in the middle of downtown, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And now you make me wish I had read the graffiti all over the Lions Estates, but it was probably some pretty tame stuff, I would assume. I would assume. All right, so... Let's get to some time travel stuff. Yeah, that's right. The The turnaround point of the film really is where Doc Brown introduces his time machine, the first, like, truly exciting moment in the film. Right, because it's all kind of sad before that. I mean, you just feel like, oh, man, Marty McFly's life sucks. It's like it's a non-science fiction film about, you know, the lower middle class and their struggles and that kind of thing. But uh, but then this really badass, futuristic-looking uh, sports car time machine comes rolling out of the back of Doc's Brown, Doc Brown's trucks, and then he, we start getting some science thrown at us at that point. Right, and you start to see um, Doc Brown's uh, sort of scatterbrained um, behavior, but when it gets down to it, when he's focused on something, that he can really focus on it, so... You can tell that, um, you know, he's been preparing for this time machine unveiling for a long time. He's rehearsed what he's going to say. He's rehearsed the experiment. Everything's going well. He's having Marty videotape it. Right. But, and he, you know, how he's going to control it. And then, you know, when the whole uh, uh, Libyan terrorist thing comes in, it sort of, well, he never thought of the the things on the side. You know, he was so focused, laser focused, uh, as he is, on solving the problem that he never thought about the repercussions of things he did on the outside. <laughs> the vengeful terrorist group that he screwed over, he never thought that they were going to catch up with him, I guess. He was like, I have no idea how they found me, but I'm basically dead. Well, and he didn't think about the danger that he put Marty in or anything either. You know, no, absolutely no repercussions. Uh, the the science is in, is fun, in this scene because he sends his dog back through time with a synchronized stopwatch and it ends up being a second. I, you know, I have a bad taste in my mouth for time travel. Thanks to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles (laughs) three. I was expecting some total garbage science coming our way, but you know, whether or not it's actually accurately or, uh, adequately explained how it works, they give us the information we need to say, okay, this thing is working, you know, as designed. It's plausible, that kind of thing. It's logical. Yeah, it's logical. The thing that I didn't get and still don't get, I mean, this time machine follows a precise set of rules in all of the writing for for it throughout the trilogy, honestly. So it always appears, you know, in wherever you are in time in the exact same place where you were before. But he's talking about like, let's say you want to go see the birth of Christ or something. So you set it to the year zero. It's like, well, that's great. But that happened in like, you know, Judea and this is Southern California. So you've got a trip ahead of you. Well, I mean, yeah, especially since gasoline isn't exactly plentiful 
uh, probably around the time of Christ. <laughs> yeah, th- exactly. That kind of thing. So I don't know. It's like, but he's just, I get it. He's just trying to, you know, he's dumbing it down for Marty. Marty's just like, whoa, this is heavy. Like, that's about the extent of where he can go with it mentally. Oh, right. And, and somewhat dumbing it down for the movie audience who might not realize, uh, you know, it's colloquially, colloquially speaking, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the year zero birth of Christ. Okay. Cause you know, it's, a D B C. Uh huh uh huh uh huh. Right. It's easy, but the fact remains that not every significant event of human history happened in the you know the the Los Angeles region essentially. <laughs> no, and he said you know same thing with July fourth, seventeen seventy six. Well, you got you'd have a long way to go to get to Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> and there are no paved roads, so. No. Good good luck with the stagecoach. Yeah. You're screwed. So, uh, <laughs> but but that's that's superfluous. Um, at this point in the movie, we lose our doctor to uh, spray of gunfire by the terrorists, and Marty hops in the DeLorean to make his escape. Um, I really don't think he's thinking about the fact that it's a time machine at that time. He's just trying to run circles around him in a really hot sports car. But Pretty much. What ends up happening is. He pushes 88 degree, 88 degrees, huh? 88 miles per hour, and ends up going back to the most recently set time, uh, which is 1955. Doc Brown was was you know going back to that one very significant date in Hill Valley's history. Well, when well, well. Let me stop you there. Let that. me stop you there. So, um, he wasn't planning on going there. This was the last thing in no. his demonstration. He was talking about this was the date that he invented time travel. And that's why he was reminiscing oh. and telling Marty about it. So That's right. And that, that comes into play later. You're, you are right. Doc Brown is planning on going 25, uh, what, years. 25 years into the future. Yeah, so which says 2010. 2010. At the end of the movie, he ends up going 30 years in the future. But yeah, he ends up back in 1955 where, you know, it costs like a, a nickel for... For for like a soda and fifty cents to see a movie, <laughs> and uh, that's right. The uh, downtown theater isn't playing a bunch of porn. Uh, everything's looking really wholesome, that kind of thing. It's just a really fun scene where he's walking around Hill Valley in 1955. Oh yeah, and I I love that um, event when he first crashes and he's leaving. Um, before he started walking around, uh, you know, Doc had told him about Old Man Peabody. And that the reason mm-hmm. that Peabody, this is where the mall was, where Peabody was, and then that he was like uh, into breeding pine trees, right? And then the um, Twin Pines Mall. Yep. So when Marty, uh, you know, crashes the DeLorean uh, out to get out the fence, he runs into through one of the the sapling pine trees, and later in the movie, when Marty comes back from the past to the future to two eighty five, uh, the the mall is now called Lone Pine Mall. Lone Pine, sure. I see everything has repercussions, as Doc warns throughout this film. Yes. So, <laughs> so but yeah, that, that's a nice little touch. I like that. I, I also loved how Ronald Reagan was in the movie at the movie theater that was being advertised. Yeah, and and Ronald Reagan actually was a was a really big fan of this movie. It references him several times when uh, when he meets up with Doc Brown in the past. Uh, he asks him, okay, just to test if you're insane, who's the president in 1985? And he's like, Ronald Reagan. He's like, ha, ah, the actor. <laughs> and he goes off on some 
acting jokes like uh, Secretary of State would be Betty Grable or something like that. Right. And then once uh, Marty hooks up the videotape later, uh, he again references like, no wonder your president is an actor. They have to be so good looking in front of this camera all the time. Which actually was a shift that happened when uh, presidential candidates were videotaped uh, for debates and that kind of debates, thing when State the, of the television Union. era rolled around. One of the overall things about this movie that I uh, that I noticed is how self-aware it is and how aware of histor- history it is. I mean, being that it... Sure, it's a, it's a very personal story about Marty and his family um, and Doc mm-hmm. Brown and to the extent the villains, you know, Biff and such. But it's also very aware of itself it's uh, and history and things like that so yeah referencing that uh, movie people have to to look okay and and uh, uh referencing um the changes in in historical things and how they would look to people from the past is way different than other time travel movies had sort of treated it to this point right it's also a little bit ironic that 1950s styles have kind of aged better than 1980s styles but uh that might just be through my own lens. Well, no, I think it's. I think that might be true, and of course, uh, everything is cyclical. But I think that's part of the reason why people still watch this movie. The '80s sections were aware of how ridiculous they were, as was the '50s sections. You know, Marty standing in front right. of the giant amplifier was ridiculous. Like this is the '80s. You know, yeah, extreme. You know. <laughs> culture right well you know the movie was meant to be larger than life and it is in so many ways it makes fun of the 80s at the same time it is in the 80s hey that's my job (laughs) no but the the 80s version the 80s part of this movie is you know not like angry in your face 80s it's just you know it's it's there it's subtle it's not really important to the story but that part it of, is the 80s. But, and well, so, yes. no, it is. It is in that part of what they're saying is that is that um, they made things shitty, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. That, well, it, 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 they're definitely showcasing a downtrodden portion of society in the 80s. Version, yes. The, the initial 80s version of the show. Yeah, let's get back to the 50s here. So we have uh, Marty... Meeting up with Doc, Doc getting convinced that uh, Marty is from the future and that his experiments work. Um, finally, he invented something that works. A lot of scientists or, you know, people who are famous in general have one good idea, and this was his. But he's he's infinitely concerned about messing up the timeline. He tells Marty, you know, we'll... We'll use that lightning strike that we knows happen that we know happens because you're a future man uh, to repower your your incredibly power hungry time machine car. Um, since obviously there's no plutonium that they have access to. I like how he's like, well, in 1985, I'm sure you have plutonium at every convenience store on the corner, but in 1955, <laughs> it's very rare. And he's like, yeah, well, okay, whatever. No, he's like basically Marty, you can't leave the house for a week until we wait for this thing because things are going to happen. He's like, well, here's the deal. Now, obviously in the movie, he runs into his own parents, kind of uh, wrecks that how we met story that his mom probably tells every night. Oh, yeah. And Um, then I I love the discovery of of these things. Um, Like basically the how we met story is is his mother doesn't know why he was in the tree. And the reason why he's in the tree is because he was creeping on her. Right, right. It's like, oh, geez, the things that happen, you know, (laughs) <laughs> at the peripheral, you know, story. Right. You don't, you don't know about it, but like, yeah, he was a, 
he was uh, a peeping Tom. Right. And uh, so unfortunately, that means Marty ends up taking his place in that story, looking like he's going to be the love interest for his own mother, which leads to all sorts of uncomfortable uh, suggestions of incest, essentially. This is this story is like how to do an Oedipus complex. <laughs> yep, exactly. He's like, oh, geez, how the heck am I going to get out of this one? Well, it gets worse throughout the movie, too. He is still trying to fix up his dad with his mom, but... He's like, okay, so the way we're going to do it, we're going to trick her into liking you. That's the good basis for every, you know, strong relationship. Uh, Because he's going to get all, like, sexually aggressive with her. And it's just like, oh, no. And and he even acknowledges, like, God, I don't want to do this, but I feel like I need to do this (laughs) because my dad is such a a schlub. The only way that he's ever Mm going to, you know, succeed in that. He's never going to get a girl on his own. Yeah, right. And... (laughs) I think one of those things, I mean, one of the things is that he ends up learning uh, is is uh, he sort of accidentally teaches his dad how to be an okay guy and a sort of normal guy throughout the movie, which, you know, it does come to an end where obviously, ahead where obviously when um, Biff is basic, well, he's uh, sexually assaulting Lorraine, <laughs> that George has to stand up for her. But, you know, throughout the movie, you know, Marty's been coaching him on, like, how to not be a goofball and to try to share, you know, like, share your stories. They're not crazy. And, you know, you're not a freak. And, you know, all these subtle things that that Marty's teaching his dad, essentially, um, that eventually, once he stands up to Biff, suddenly all these things that Marty was saying come true. Like, oh, yeah, I I can show my true self and people aren't going to laugh at me. Right, he's got the confidence to be basically an adult who isn't a total loser, essentially. Right, and eventually he ends up becoming, uh, obviously, you know, the end of the movie, He's they, they have money, he's a published author, um, you know, they're doing well. And, and instead it's uh, Biff who's basically, uh, deservedly, his life has not turned out like he wanted it to be. And basically that wraps up the whole subplot about Marty's very existence being in in jeopardy due to this one little mess up of the timeline uh, when he, you know, disrupts the meeting story between his mom and his dad. But uh, it's also thanks in part to George McFly's, like, boundless rage and aggression towards other males, which it turns out that Lorraine uh, finds quite endearing. You know, it's like, that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't cocked uh, Biff in the jaw and then pushed that one guy down in the middle of the dance floor. She's just, like, swoons over that kind of thing. So, eh, it's the 50s. Yeah, it's a, it is a different time. <laughs> Um, For sure. I was like, huh, I don't know if this is a healthy relationship, but hey, at least it's not based on, you know, her son trying to, you know, get busy with her in the back of a car. So, no, it it seems like it goes it, <coughs> it becomes a healthy relationship after being based on basically what the stereotypes that those two groups of people in the 50s have been told. You know, right, right. Uh, George is sort of, you know, basically trying to be a gentleman and uh but he's also a goofball until, you know, he sort of straightens his life out. And uh, she's trying to find a guy that uh, that is nice, but also can be a little bit of a tough guy. A protector, you know, that yeah. kind of a thing. And so to each their own, right? Definitely considered a, yeah, definitely considered a, a, a positive trait uh, back in the post-war era. At the dance, I just want to say the famous johnny b good scene that's that's like the iconic moment from this film Mm -hmm. 
It, it, it definitely is. It is. Uh, you know, it's the thing that you always, re- you know, uh, oh, geez, here we go. Ninja Turtles 2 had the vanilla ice ninja wrap, and this has the Johnny B. Good scene. Uh, there's well, and the a ninja wrap's a callback to this. this. Right, exactly. So, yeah, right, it's referencing this. And this thing gets uh, spoofed in so many different, you know, media you know to this day i think most recently i saw a family guy episode just like this it's just that thing that i mean this is one of the things people are going to remember about films in the 80s one thing i really didn't understand about the whole ending of the dance sequence right before we ended up into the you know uh getting marty actually back to 1985 sequence was mm-hmm. why is Marty saying goodbye to George and Lorraine? Why do they think this is the last that they're ever going to see him? Is there some sort of cosmic thing? It's never like, well, I'm leaving town after the the dance, and, uh, you know, it's not a thing. Right, yeah, he's just that, you know, it's just like, oh, thank you, knight in white shining armor. Will we ever be able to repay your kindness? And he'll say, I think sometime in the future you may get a chance. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just... I don't know. It's a it's a scripted moment in what is, you know, it's it's a hero's quest. So it's trying to draw, you know, from those, you know, that literary tradition in a way. I mean, everything else in the movie seems so natural. <laughs> Just that one thing kind of uh, took me out of it for a second. Like, why would he? I mean, I, I, when I watched it before, I didn't think about this. But now that I'm thinking about movies in a different way, uh, that was just kind of a thing. Like, they could have just said, like, um, hey, guys, I'm moving away. And so, uh, you know, this will be it. And then goodbye. <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But, but really, when you think about it, this movie is just like a series of moments. Each one has a purpose. And but but it's just like the really it's it's good writing. This film has good writing. Things that would seem really forced in other films. I mean, they do it the same way in this movie, but it just kind of flows and goes together really well. The, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, there's people that just come up and start spewing exposition out of their mouths, but it doesn't feel all that forced. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of the way that this movie is constructed. It's a series of events that lead to, you know other events <laughs> which is kind of how life is constructed if you think about it i mean there's not an right over, right there's exactly. not a storyteller in your life or, or mine not that i'm aware of if so um well we gotta get on the phone with him but <laughs> no kidding jeez but, but yeah yeah so anyway but the real reason marty has to leave is to get back uh get back to the future because doc's busy setting up the whole you know lightning catcher that he's going to use to get back so did you notice um Obviously, they're they're saying their goodbyes, and 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 uh, Marty gives Doc the letter, and Doc's like, "Is this about the future?" And then he rips it up. But did you notice that when he rips it up, um, when the uh, the cable comes undone, he immediately shoves his hand in his pocket, so he keeps all of the pieces that he tore up. Yeah, I, I my brain in my memory had put it in, like he ripped them up and threw them, but it turned out mm-hmm. that he ripped them up but he still kept them in his hand and he shoved it in his pocket as soon as the the cable come undone and that's why he was able to get it uh for taping back together later and saving his life doc from the past and doc from the future seem to have very different outlooks on life uh you know i think a lot of people as they age their attitude just becomes like eh, fuck it so like you know originally he was like 
I do not want to know about the future because there could be consequences. And then as he gets older, he's like, yeah, well, maybe just a little bit. Reads the letter, says, okay, going to take care of this. Yeah, I don't want to die. <laughs> yeah, as it turns out, uh, who cares? So he breaks the prime directive, but that's okay. It's to save his life. Um, I thought that the scene where Doc is struggling with the cable was pretty dang epic. I mean, this was a, a good... Absolutely. Yeah, it was a good physical acting job by Christopher Lloyd. Mm-hmm. The he's emotions. chewing on the scenery just a little bit, but um, he's keeping the excitement level up very suitably. Yeah, they're both basically wrestling with a problem, and Doc is trying to get the cable back, and Marty's trying to get the stupid car started. I've seen this scene, you know, like I said before, maybe a dozen times. It still felt very tense, and I was, like, on the edge of my seat, like, oh, God, what else could go wrong? I mean, you know damn well he, you know, it ends up being successful, but there's, again, good writing and good acting because the tension is there, even though you know exactly how it's going to be resolved. It gets resolved uh, in an epic way. Uh, I had forgotten that Doc was holding the cable and snapped it together just as the lightning was coming down, so he got slightly zapped. Right. Slowest lightning strike in the history of movies, I think. You know, the, <laughs> the electricity just kind of meanders along the wire. Derp, derp, derp. With enough time for him to put it together. So, yep, speed of plot. <laughs> yep, and then, of course, Marty comes back to, uh, to 1985, and uh, Doc is saved. In Yay, the exact he read location the where he was. The uh, other theater that was in the town that he ran into was the one that was turned into a church, which I think... A lot of people can remember from their 80s town. I know our town had that. Yep, it does. And then uh, things are good at his house. His life is made way better. Well, we should quickly mention that Doc Brown does, in fact, wear a bulletproof vest. And so when he gets nailed with the AK-47, he's just fine. Apparently running your van into one of those flimsy photo booths is enough to incapacitate your entire terrorist team. But hey, whatever. Yeah, they don't, they never really like play out what actually happens to the terrorists. I, mean, I assume they right. they just it just takes them out of commission, and it's like really because I would have thought they would have been fine. But uh, and if they took them out of commission, were they arrested? You know, why isn't it on the news the next day that Doc Brown foils terror plot? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they were like, well, Doc, you did steal their plutonium, so we're gonna have to take you to jail. They're pressing charges. <laughs> uh, t- tell you what, we'll call it a wash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Everybody can go home. No. Uh, no, but, but okay. uh, yeah, he, he goes to sleep and wakes up the next day and everything about his present is different. You know, his his loser family are all a bunch of well-to-dos now. Uh, they're all looking slim and trim and well-dressed, that kind of thing. The house is real nice. Uh, they have two nice vehicles, one for Marty himself. Yep. The, the very same 4x4 four four truck he was drooling over earlier in the movie. Yep. Um, but uh, but Biff, the guy who was bullying their dad all through the, you know, the alternate timeline past is now like kind of like the family lackey a little bit. <laughs> I was going to say he's the family pet. That's what I what I wrote down. <laughs> right. Basically. Yeah. He's just like, oh, thank you very much, Marty McFly. You know, here's your keys to your car. And you boy, your dad sure is smart and all that kind of stuff. He's just like a real gomer. Yeah, which is, which is interesting. 
I mean, ever since he ran into a pile of poop and, and got punched by George McFly, he's, he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a okay, probably still bad person, but at least he's kept under wraps. Yeah, that's right. He, uh, <laughs> it's funny how one little event can change the course of your whole life, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but basically, uh, but yeah, so everything's looking great for Marty, and then the sequel kind of gets set up a little bit. Now, not necessarily. It, it The movie functions fine on its own, but the sequel is set up because Doc Brown comes back from the future, uh, which is the year 2015, and says they need to go there and fix the problem with his kids, basically. So, uh, and, and this is where I was like, okay, so Doc Brown from the future... The, with the 1985 timeline really is uh, a more of a laid back kind of guy because he was always trying to preserve the timeline before. But now he's like, quick, let's go to the future and change it. <laughs> you know, basically. Yeah, the future sucks. We got to fix this. <laughs> yeah, I got to fix this future. Oh, but that's going to screw everything all up, as we'll see in the next movie. But that uh, that's basically where this movie ends. All right. So I think um, unless you have anything else to talk about, let's get right to the uh, the decision. Let's do it. So now we're at the part of the show where we decide if the movie is sacred. Bovinus Sanctorum. Or if we need to put it out to pasture. Bovinus Excommunicado. So let's talk about Back to the Future, whether it's sacred or not. Um, Pete, you go first. No, you know what, Mike? I think you should go first. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this movie. All right. Well, I have to say I was leaning towards sacred before I started. I tried to, you know, put that aside and um I'm still saying it's sacred after having watched it and and thought about it. So, um and and the reasons are I think uh I think all of the characters are are very well realized. Um all of the actors uh really got to play different aspects of them. Uh, all of the characters had an arc uh you know, throughout the movie, whether caused by Marty or not, with the exception of Biff, which we really don't know. And other than the whole weird thing where like, well, Marty, will we ever see you again? I think that everything else was uh, pretty right on. And, and it was done in such a way that it felt uh, natural. So, and I, of course, I, I know we didn't get into Doc Brown's character as much in this movie. He's a little more featured in the other two as, a, as his own right. character with his own plot. Um, but definitely the performance by Christopher Lloyd um, as that character just, uh, he sells it. I mean, uh, I'm so glad they let him do a bunch of improv with it um, and make the character more natural. I mean... Um, just the way that he says giga, gigawatts, you know, 1.21 mm-hmm. gigawatts. Um, and when I was in college, we <laughs> used great. to talk about, um, you know, when we got uh, an upgrade to networking at uh, at school, we talked about gigabits, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, right. So um, you know, it was it's influential, and obviously the character is like one of the best characters in any anything ever. That I think yes, this is absolutely sacred. That's glowing from me so what about you pete uh hell yeah it's sacred i mean you know i never i would i figured it was i thought it was going to be i watched it you know a part of me loves to be an a-sayer so i was like oh this is going to be nothing like what it was when i was a kid but quite frankly apart from some 
uh, slightly aged looking effects. Uh, it was a fantastic movie. And believe me, special effects aren't everything, as is evidenced by today's, you know, special effects blockbusters, essentially. Uh, the writing is solid in this movie. The actors put in great performances, some of them two or three different great performances. I mean, really, when they change their characters like Compass or just like, you know, what drives or what what is the core of this character, I mean, that changes for each of the characters, and they do a great job with that. The excitement level, this is, uh, you know, it's kind of short for a modern movie. It's, it's just under two hours, but it never feels long because there's so much going on. Uh, there's there's no lulls, really. It's just exciting moment after exciting moment. A very well-put-together movie. Very good, I think. So definitely a sacred cow for me, and I <laughs> am looking forward to seeing the next two as we move forward with this trilogy. Great, so we agree. Bovinus Sanctorum. Yes, yes, we agree. Um, I, just, I do want to give one um, extra shout-out. I mean... Uh, one character that we, you know, doesn't get enough love in these movies, I think, is Biff. And I don't mean love as in love. I mean love as in I love to hate him. Um, Tom Wilson yes. does an excellent job. And if you've ever heard or seen Tom Wilson in anything else or ever heard his comedy, you know that he is a wonderful, like, warm, awesome dude. And um, he makes Biff Tannen... Um, a really, really horrible villain. I mean, uh, right. in this movie, he, Biff is really bad. He I mean, does I a didn't, great job with making him bad. Right. I didn't realize. I didn't remember how bad the whole, um, you know, Biff and Lorraine scene was until I resaw it in this movie. And it's like, oh God, yes, he is a villain who uh, deserves way more than what he gets, probably. Right. <laughs> like he should be in and jail. That, I think. <laughs> His character, yeah, absolutely. His character is thankfully and wonderfully explored uh, in greater dimension, I think, in the in the coming movies. Uh, and Tom Wilson puts in fantastic performances in those two from memory, uh, from what I'm rem remembering of the movies. So I'm very much looking forward to watching those performances. As am I. <laughs> All right. So Great. with that, let's get to our final thoughts. And that wraps up our episode on Back to the Future Part 1. That's a very good movie. I hope you didn't cheat yourself by not actually watching it before listening. No, you need to uh, you need to get ready to watch the second one because uh, I know I know you're going to want to continue on this journey with us for the next episode, which will air in 2 weeks, which uh, 2 weeks is October 21st. Special day. And actually it would be uh, uh, 4.59 p.m. on October 21st. So if you want to listen to us at that time, that's when you would expect it to drop. I love I love fancy dates like that. This is going to be a good one. It's, it's not every day that uh, you come upon a date that was a future date in a past movie. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. That said, if you want to wait to actually watch uh, Back to the Future, instead of listening to us at that exact time, that is up to you and you will be forgiven. Yeah, I, you know, I suppose you probably do want to tell your kids or your grandkids that uh, where were you <laughs> at, at that exact time? And you're like, well, I was listening to a podcast about the movie. Nah, you're probably going to watch the movie. There you go. And I understand um, some places in the country, they actually are showing um, 
Back to the Future 2 at that time in the theater as part of a trilogy that they're, um, you know, they're going to do one, two, and three together. So, you know, if you live in a near theater that's doing that, I know some AMC theaters are doing that. Um, we have nothing around where Pete and I live, um, but it would be sort of a cultural, um, you know, experience to, you know, get and see yeah. Back to the Future on the big screen. All three of them. Throw on your orange puff vest and head down to your theater. Exactly. Get some good popcorn and, and, and live it up. For sure. With that, I think it's time to talk about where you can get in contact with us. Um, we love your feedback. So the first thing that we would like you to do if you love the show is give us a review on iTunes. A five-star review is preferred. Uh, you can feel free to bash us in the review if you want and uh, you know tell us how much you love us by uh, berating us. You know, it's it's 2015. People do that. It's the stars we care about, people. The stars. Right, because the stars mean the that people will find us more, that it'll be easier to find us on the index and iTunes. Just stumble upon us. So that's what we want. Um, you can also contact us on Twitter with at Sacred Cows Pod. That's at Sacred Cows Pod. We'd love to get your comments and uh, chit-chat with you there. And if you follow us, you'll find occasional funny bits and uh, tidbits about uh, different things. Also, um, you can find us on uh, our email address and talk with us there. Uh, We like to do uh, a feedback episode uh, every once in a while, and uh, there'll be one after the Back to the Future trilogy is done, which the email address that you can get uh, your email to us is Sacred cows at hero of the web.com. That's sacred cows at hero of the web.com. And finally, you can talk with me individually. I'm at white morph on Twitter. That's at white morph. And as for Pete, you know, it's Twitter. I ain't got it. If that's what you're waiting for me to say, I don't have Twitter. Well, it's getting, but I will someday. It's getting to be an old shtick. But if you tweet at sacred cows pod, or you send an email to sacredcows at heroofthewebcom we can guarantee that the uh, mail or Twitter cows will definitely get the message to Pete. It'll come across my desk at some point, but seriously, people, I love reading your feedback very much, so uh, please feel free to send that to us in any way that you uh, see fit. All right, so uh, Pete, do you have anything else that you'd like to say to our wonderful listeners before we head out? No, just uh, watch Back to the Future 2. I remember that one being my favorite as a kid, but things change over the years. I am still very excited to see it. All right. My final thought is what he said. Great. I love it when we're in agreement so closely. Yay. All right. Well, this is Mike. It's never happened before. And I'm Pete. And we're signing off. Good night, everyone. Good night.